0: With a this is the Defend DACA episode of On One, y'all. I am so heated today. Why? Because the Devil Spawn thought it was a good idea to rescind DACA despite there being no legitimate issue with the program other than the fact that it came from you know who, 44, Barack Obama. So let's just jump right in. This is going to be substance heavy today, but you need to learn about these issues. This is not an accident. This is all part of a white supremacist, white rage, bigoted agenda that we just don't have time for. To learn more about the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals issue, please check out defenddaca.com. That's defenddaca.com. And now we start with this moment in blackness. This moment in blackness is for black folks. Please don't believe the damn hype. Listen to this ad.
1: I'm tired of the stereotype that black Americans don't want to work. I've worked hard my whole life, but I got laid off and I've got mouths to feed. I need a job. What I don't understand is why our leaders are going to admit another million immigrant workers next year to take jobs when 3 million black Americans can't find work. (laughs) I mean, do our leaders really believe that black Americans don't want to work? Let's slow down mass immigration and save jobs for Americans, all Americans paid for by NumbersUSA.org.
0: So this ad came out in October, 2012, and it's been haunting my memory ever since. And especially given what's happened with DACA over the last 24 hours, this is what I need y'all to do. Don't believe the hype. Don't, 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 believe the hype. So this moment in blackness is dedicated to debunking the myths associated with immigration and black folks. According to a Pew Research study, since before around 2014, immigrants have not accounted for the majority of Hispanic workers in the United States. Although Latinos gained 2.8 million jobs after the recession ended in 2009, Only 453,000 of those went to immigrants. Additionally, data from the American Immigration Council statistically proves that immigration from Latin America improves, that's right, I said improves job opportunities and increases wages for who? Black folks. I need you to know your data. Lastly, since when did immigration become just about brown people? The devil is a liar. There are more than 3.8 million black immigrants in the United States. And while we're talking about DACA, there are 400,000 undocumented black people here. And some of those folks are DACA folks. So guess what? Hashtag defend DACA. Because it's our fight, too. Today's Conversate segment is with a dear sister friend of mine, um, Alita Garcia, who is a tremendous attorney, advocate, activist and champion for immigrant rights. She's working diligently on the DACA fight. Um, we normally have a pretty detailed conversation here. We go back and forth quite a bit, but I have a ton of questions for Alita. I'm no, I know you all will find her to be just as awesome and wonderful um, and clear about what we can do going forward. So with that said, welcome, Alita.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: Alita, please uh, just start today off with giving us a 30,000 foot level understanding of what DACA is Um, For those of my podcast listeners who want to be supportive, but just don't know enough about what's going on the program, um, just give us a quick overview about what it really is.
2: Awesome. So there are approximately uh, 1.6 million um, young people who are immigrants who arrived to the United States as children, Um, and in 2012, President Obama... Uh, helped create the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program. And so what that program is, is if you're a young person who's been in the United States for a, a little over 10 years and you pay a fee um, and submit an application and pass a background check, the government will then give you a work authorization that is valid for two years um, and also remove the risk of deportation. And so, what this means is um, since 2012, 800,000 young people have applied for this program. They have actually submitted all of their information to the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, By definition, they are not criminals. They have passed federal background checks. um, And they are working at every major company and studying at every university across America. So, a little bit about what DACA is.
0: So, Alita, um, you know, Barack Obama earned this name, this nickname um, in the immigrants community, the Porter in Chief. But I don't think that anybody understood um, what was going to be coming after him. I know certainly I didn't expect for the man who challenged Barack Obama's citizenship to be sitting in the White House now. But when we think about the fact that Donald Trump started his campaign, um, with the hatred for immigrants, with uh, playing into to, to white fear um, and really appealing to the worst of what America represents. I want you to talk a little bit um, about that and what we're up against now, because I think it is totally different from having an ally who we may see some things different than, right? Versus uh, Donald Trump, who, again, is appealing to the worst parts of who this co- or what this country represents.
2: So context is important because President Trump promised to repeal the DACA program in the first week of his presidency. Um, and because of great advocacy, including advocacy from President Obama, um, he did not. And so we are eight months into the Trump administration and the Trump administration has actually processed um 200,000 new or renewal applications of DACA recipients. So the idea of just undoing something that President Obama did, it actually doesn't apply in this context because the Trump administration has been actively processing uh, the DACA program over the eight months. Um, and so what is at threat right now is um, Attorney General Ken Paxton, who's the Texas Attorney General, along with nine other states, essentially uh, wrote a letter threatening the president that if he did not repeal the program on September 5th, that they would sue to stop the program. And so that letter is what's sort of creating this arbitrary um, chaos and deadline for the administration to make a decision. And that's why you're seeing immigrant youth um, and their allies raise their voices, um, show up in protest, uh, write letters to the administration, et cetera. Um, to make sure or at least try to see if the administration will keep the program in place.
0: Um, And with the understanding that this is a pre-recorded podcast, what are we expecting uh, for the president to do tomorrow?
2: The expectation for tomorrow is that we'll probably get bad news. What I'm going to be looking for is, uh, is the president going to ask Congress to solve the Problem that he's creating. Um, the reality is, is that no matter what, dreamers deserve a permanent legislative solution. Uh, and that would be the DREAM Act. And 86% of Americans actually support legalizing dreamers in the United States. And so um, I'm expecting bad news, uh, which is horrible and really just immoral and cruel. Um, he will be disrupting the lives of 800,000 young people um, who have only done what the government has asked of them. Uh, but we can't just let that decision stand. Um, I do not want my friends and my coworkers to be deported. Uh, and so if he's not willing to keep the program, Congress has always been in control of this issue and the speaker. Uh, you know, and uh, Mitch McConnell, they could bring a a vote to the floor as early as this week and they should do so immediately. And when we
0: think about the many challenges that Congress has had, um, not just this, um, not just during this Congress, but overall, um, how much hope are you putting into them being able to actually move on this process? We've seen them struggle with um, Obamacare, which, frankly, I think for many of us is is a good thing this go around we know that they haven't even touched tax reform yet which is supposed to be a major priority for this president um and uh not to mention the debt ceiling we are facing um an impending uh government shutdown um in a, a little over 20 days so do how much uh how much hope do you really have in them being able to move on a priority that would impact dreamers
2: so look the congress hasn't changed our immigration system in uh there have been many fights, including um, you know, when President Obama had control of both houses, or Democrats had control of both houses, a DREAM Act did not pass. But we don't really have any other option. I refuse to live in a country where young people are asked for their biometrics and their information by a government that then will subsequently six months later decide to target them. Um that's just not it's completely un American and so While I have, um, while I'm cautious about our realistic challenges, I don't see another option, um, but to fight for a Dream Act. And, and the support is there from law enforcement, from faith leaders from titans of industry. And so it's not like there's any excuse that this isn't a popular policy proposal. It's just a matter of the will and the backbones of the Congress. And
0: that's such a good point. Earlier on, you mentioned that 86% of Americans support the idea of DREAM Act legislation and um, ensuring that DREAMers have the right to be here in this country, right?
2: Yeah. So I don't believe or I believe that none of this is on accident, and so I believe that this is actually um, a plan created by anti-immigrant restrictionist organizations with deep ties to white nationalism who are very close friends with Stephen Miller, and I believe what they are trying to do is put the lives of 800,000 young people at risk to try to negotiate a bigger, more harmful policies to target even larger populations of immigrants in the United States and those trying to get into the United States. And so um, it's a rocky road ahead. Um, and a lot of this has been driven by the sentiment of what is a very extreme, tiny population of the United States. And so what I'm hopeful for in this moment is that those 86% of Americans actually raise their voices because if they start raising their voices, the um, st- loud voices of the small minority will start to drown out, and we'll realize that this actually isn't that controversial. We're just allowing so much space to be taken by people with hatred in their hearts.
0: And Alita, on that point, do you have the names of any of the organizations that have ties to Stephen Miller? Um, for those of you who do not know, Stephen Miller is a senior advisor in Donald Trump's White House who since his high school days um, at Santa Monica high school has been tied to white racist ideology, white supremacist ideology um, and kind of playing on the worst of fears related to uh, immigration policy. So Alita, do you have any of the names of the organizations um, who are affiliated with him?
2: Totally. So there are um, four organizations that all were founded by the same person with roots in the eugenics movement. Um, and they are uh, Numbers USA, the Center for Immigration Studies, Fair Immigration and the Immigration uh, Reform Law Institute, and they are a, a network of organizations, um, many who have employees that now work within the administration in the Department of Homeland Security and other roles. Um, and you can read more about them and how they're all connected to this at um, or at PlotAgainstDaca dot com.
0: Alita, I'm so glad you brought up numbers. Um, This is an organization that has just burned me up over the years for quite some time now. They've had ads on black networks um, pumping fear into the minds of black folks who may not be following immigration policy very well, or they may not have had any real allies or or coalition building experiences with brown folks. And they've talked about brown people taking their jobs and how um, illegal immigration is to blame for joblessness in the black community. They have played these ads on black networks, on black radio stations, even placed them on black blogs. So it's really important that we not only address this, but that we debunk some of this as we go into the myth busting component of this conversation.
2: So their game is to say there are only 10 jobs in the United States. Look at unemployed African-American male youth. Those five jobs that are open should go to them. And it's the immigrants' fault that those jobs aren't available. And what they're trying to do is play our communities against each other rather than ask the question of what are we doing to create 20 jobs and why can't everybody win in America? And why are white nationalist organizations deciding the narratives that pit communities of color against each other? And so I'm so glad you bring that up. It is a very specific strategy of theirs to try to make the African-American community And the Latino community believe that they're in competition of limited resources. And the reality is, is that there's more than enough for everybody to win. They're just trying to define a game and pit each other against each other.
0: We just have to understand that oppression is oppression in all of its forms and we are stronger together. And really, just frankly, numbers add be damned. Like they have pissed me off over the years just watching them play on uh, people's worst fears. And I just wish that we could understand that, you know, this is absolutely a game that they're playing with folks who just may be ignorant. Um, you know, I hate to call it what it is, but that is exactly what it is. People that just don't know any better. Um, and if they can find someone to blame, we saw the boogeyman strategy work in the 2016 election. If you can find someone to blame for your condition, you know, that is where you take out your anger. Um, and so I'm glad that we're kind of debunking part of this now.
2: Totally. And the other thing that I want to um say, emphasize is that oftentimes immigration is dealt or viewed as a Latino issue. But the reality is that there are 500,000, at least 500,000 black undocumented people in the United States.
0: So on this listing piece, Alita, true or false, (laughs) is immigration a Latino issue? False. (laughs) Right. So there are Asian immigrants, there are white immigrants. This is not solely a brown issue. This is a a conversation that we have to begin having more broadly. So we understand that there are immigrants of all races coming into America. And DACA is also going to impact people of every race.
2: Totally. And, And especially in the black community, one thing that's important to note is that um, the TPS program is also at risk right now. And, and that Alita, is, when you
0: say TPS for folks at home who need to look this up, what is TPS?
2: TPS is Temporary Protective Status. And so there are a number of Black immigrant communities who have benefited from TPS, and that program has been put at risk. So for example, um, people from Haiti, uh, some of them qualify for TPS. If they remove TPS, all of those Haitians will be deported. Um, And so it's not just DACA. Immigration policy has been attacked since the first week of this presidency in January. And different communities are impacted in different ways. But, um, you know, right now, after this interview, I'm about to head over to the White House, where a number of Korean immigrant youth have actually been out there 24-7 since August 15th to raise awareness about DACA and the TPS programs. Um, And so, uh, you know, immigration is really the one of the key lifelines of diversity into the United States. And so when the Charlottesville stuff happened, what I wanted people to connect the dots to is one of the best ways to fight white nationalism is to fight for a robust and strong immigration system, because that's what brings in People from all these countries into our country and sort of refuels our economy, our neighborhoods, our community, where we're learning from each other in different ways. Um, And so it's really important to connect the dots on how important a strong immigration system is for all of us, not just Latinos.
0: So Alita, you talked about immigration impacting different communities in different ways. Can you highlight what some of those uh, ways may be for black folks, for brown folks, for Asian folks, for white folks, even where there may be similarities? I think that's fine, but it's important for people to understand how immigration does impact different communities in different ways.
2: Sure. So, for example, um, Asian American Pacific Islander immigrants are actually the fastest um, growing immigrant population in the United States. Um, Everyone associates immigration with Mexicans, but there's actually a net zero migration of Mexicans to the United States. States. And the majority of people showing up at the border from south of the border are actually refugees fleeing extreme violence in Honduras and El Salvador. And so, um, you know, each country has its different migration patterns, but some of the policies, a few weeks ago, we saw Senators Cotton and Purdue introduce the RAISE Act which would essentially cut legal immigration to the United States by 50%. And so that would impact everybody who's been waiting in line for a green card. Um different countries would have different impacts of their ability to come here. It also sort of codified the um the limiting of the refugee program which would impact, you know, people from uh countries that ha- have high levels of refugee. So Uh, Each of these parts of the system will impact different countries based on what those countries go to, but we are in a global migration crisis. There are hundreds of millions of people who are displaced around the globe currently, Um, and it's really important that we don't close ourselves off in this moment, but we offer a welcoming spirit to new people who are really fleeing incredibly trying times um, and to me, it all sort of comes down to like, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And are we really going to do that or not?
0: Uh, Alita, that's a great point. Um, I want to transition briefly to what folks who can be allies, not only in this moment, but also in this movement, what can we be doing in addition to educating ourselves? You talked already about one website, which is com um, I want to make sure we're also figuring out other ways where we can be strong and active allies and active participants in this in this movement. If we're all going to act as if oppression is oppression and stand together, what are some of the things we can start doing now?
2: Great. So if you want to fight um, to protect the immigrant youth, that depending on what's announced um, yesterday, if this airs on the 6th, Um, You can go to dreamers.fwd.us and um, type in your phone number there and it will set up a free call for you to contact your member of Congress um, and ask them to bring a vote on the Bipartisan Dream Act to the floor. Um, So everyone has two senators and a member in the House of Representatives. Those three people need to hear consistently um, because there is too much uncertainty in the lives of these young people. And, you know, there are DACA recipients who are like first grade teachers. Could you imagine if your five and six year old went to class and then the next day their teacher was deported? It's not just about the trauma to the young people within the programs, but also the communities that are around them. And so this is a collective urgency. It's not solely for these 800,000 young people and we need everybody to, just talked t- to Congress like every day. <laughs> like It's not it's not a oh, I made my call on Tuesday. We need to m- you to make your call on Friday as well. And this is a matter of intense urgency. Um, I have six co-workers uh, with DACA currently, or I'm sorry, five co-workers with DACA currently. And um, I can't imagine my workplace without them, they're contributing on a daily basis. And so we just need everybody to contact Congress as, as, as frequently as possible.
0: So Alita, one more thing before we um, continue down the path of what people can do to be active um, advocates and supporters and allies in this movement. I want to take a moment to make sure we define dreamers um, for those folks who may be listening. And we probably just assume that they knew, but just in case dreamers are...
2: Dreamers are people who are immigrant young people who immigrated to the United States as children and do not have um, an immigration status. So they don't have a green card. They are not a United States citizen. They are undocumented young people. Um, And those dreamers that are in the DACA program are people who paid a fee, passed a background check, Uh, provided their biometrics information, provided all of their family information to the United States government in order to get a two year work permit and be shielded uh, from deportation temporarily.
0: So I know that one of the proposals on the table uh, for the Trump administration is to um, put it in still institute a six month delay um, before completely. Um, Ending or rescinding the DACA program. What do you say to that?
2: It's it's hard to talk about this now without hearing what comes out of the administration's mouth specifically. But here are some of the things that I'm looking for. Um, Does that period mean that the administration will continue to process renewal applications and new applications? If the answer is no. They're ending the program and just saying six months," and so we don't know what's going to come out. There's been you know a hundred different rumors over the last week, um, and really intense uncertainty amongst young people that just don't deserve this. So there are loads of rumors, and we don't know what will what the president will announce. Um, but uh, whatever if the six month rumors are true. It still means that the Congress needs to do something that it hasn't been able to do in decades, and so the urgency is still there. And we need to raise our voices and call for a floor vote on the Bipartisan Dream Act immediately. Um, but these six-month sort of the six-month can-kicking situation—it could just be window dressing for what is effectively an end to the program. We just we just don't know from the rumors and the reports that we've read thus far.
0: Uh, and Alita, you talked about uh, d- the DREAM Act. I think it's important for us to identify for the listeners who the biggest proponents of uh, the DREAM Act um, are as well as identifying folks who have been traditionally supportive of dreamers and policies that would make um, living in America easier for folks who are dreamers. Um, can you name some of those folks?
2: Sure. So um, the the newest version of the Dream Act was introduced by Senators Dick Durbin from Illinois and Lindsey Graham from South Carolina, who is a Republican. Um, the two of them are leading on this issue, but that bill has also been co-sponsored by Senator Schumer, uh, Senator Flake in Arizona, who's a Republican, and Senator Murkowski in Alaska, who's a Republican. Uh, we need to get the remainder of the United States Senate, and we also need our progressive champions like Elizabeth Warren, like Bernie Sanders, to be out there like every day. Talking about DACA recipients. Um, I do want to give a shout out to my home state Senator Kamala Harris, who's been crushing it. She's been elevating the voices and stories of undocumented youth on a daily basis and has really been fighting uh, for everyone. But we need every United States senator to sort of pick it up um, and prioritize this as the number one issue of the fall.
0: So Alita, you talked to us about making sure that we're educating ourselves on these issues. They were reaching out to our members of Congress. What are some other things we need to be doing?
2: Um, so this sounds silly, but it's important. Um, actually spend time with undocumented people. Um, and so you can go to a website called informedimmigrant.com. And there is an organization lookup tool there where you look up your state, and it will provide a number of immigrant services organizations uh, in your location there uh, to reach out and volunteer. And it's it's really important that uh, in an era where the the loudest megaphone in the country is calling immigrants criminals on a daily basis, that we reeducate ourselves before we start to adapt that mindset. And the reality is, is that there are millions upon millions of immigrants in the United States. Eleven of million of them happen to be undocumented. And the overwhelming, if not almost 100 percent, majority of them are amazing, hardworking people that are contributing to our lives every day. And, and one of the most important things we all can do is look the immigrants in our lives in the eye. You know, is your Uber driver an immigrant? Are you learning their story in their car? Who picked the lettuce in your $12 salad that you bought at one of these salad places for lunch at work? Is someone taking care of your elderly grandparent or mother in a nursing home who's an immigrant? And what are we doing to look those people in the eye, to value them, to provide them, or to look at them with the dignity that they deserve? And that will go a long way. And it's not a direct ask, but it's an important one especially while criminal criminality is being blanketed all over the population during this period of time.
0: So Alita, you talked about some um, of the traditional blue collar jobs um, and, you know, nursing um, teachers earlier on, we talked about teachers. Um, But what about the person who built that latest app? You just tried to download.
2: Totally. So um, Apple CEO, Tim Cook uh, yesterday just tweeted, I stand with my 250 co-workers who are dreamers, um, and they deserve a solution that treats them as the equals and the Americans that they are. And um, so, you know, immigrants are everywhere. And, and the data shows that immigrants actually create jobs and raise wages for Americans. Um, so, for example, in the tech sector and in... Um, in uh, highly skilled immigrant uh, visa systems, those immigrants actually create 2.62 jobs per every visa of an immigrant that comes into the United States. And so uh, the data is proven over and over and over again. We just have people with larger microphones that are um spewing falsehoods on a daily basis that's that nonsense so um
0: (laughs) one of my biggest pet peeves Alita and I know you you know I've screamed about this even on air please break it down for these folks why the concept of illegal immigration does not make a person illegal
2: and it's not a criminal offense so what I like to tell people is like you know, when you're like walking across the street and you uh, didn't use the crosswalk and you jaywalked and like that in theory was like a civil offense, (laughs) but are you now called a criminal jaywalker for the rest of your life? And so the the reality or an illegal, right? And so there, there are a couple of things here. One is uh, nearly half of undocumented people in the United States actually came here legally on visas. And a variety of things happened where they fell out of status. So I have a coworker who was on a visa, her lawyer messed up her paperwork, and then her family refiled through their other employer, and that employer sold their business. Those two acts made them undocumented. And so our immigration system is incredibly complicated. Each person has their own story of coming up against uh, you know, an inability to achieve status. And people always say, why don't you just get in line? There is literally no line for people to get into. I promise you, all of my undocumented friends would get in a line yesterday, if one exists for them to be able to achieve their status. And so our system is broken, the law needs to change. Um, but, uh, but what we're seeing is that the, the Trump administration has determined, um, basically, immigrant equals criminal, and therefore, If you're an immigrant who was driving without a license and got pulled over, you're now a criminal. If you're an immigrant who went to work to support your family, you're now a criminal. The very act of being an immigrant is determined a criminal and they're targeting everyone. And so that's what the problem is right now.
0: So Alita, with that, I just want to thank you so much for dedicating your time in the midst of this very, very important fight Um, for the folks who don't know you Uh, yet I know that they will soon. Um, I thank you for your allyship for the many ways in which you've taught me as a sister friend, as a, as an advocate and as an activist on so many issues, not just on immigration. I thank you for being patient. I thank you for, um, not being afraid, uh, to, to ask tough questions and I thank you for the grace that you give and letting me ask dumb questions. <laughs> um, I hope that we can continue on in this fight and that when you get tired, there are those of us around you to help lift up your arms um, and to continue to cheerlead your work um, and to push with you and to be responsive with to the ask that you have. But I thank you so much for taking your time um, to to do this conversate segment with me on on one with Angela Rye. Thank you so much. So please, uh, for those of um, of the listeners who may not know you as well, tell our folks where they can follow you on Twitter.
2: Uh, You can follow me at Leeds, L-E-E-D-S, Garcia. Um, If you need to get informed on DACA, I am a tweeting machine on the issue.
0: So glad that Alita could join us today. Y'all are going to need a little bit of a break from this DACA substance just to gear up for the lies Jeff Session told yesterday in announcing the rescission of the DACA program. Um, my verbal annotations will be included. So let's just switch gears briefly from DACA to today's political low life. So today's political low life goes to Steve Mnuchin who is you all's treasury secretary. And it goes to him because he kind of found himself in a position where he was defending Donald Trump for not having Harriet Tubman on the 20, or at least not making a decision about it. You all be the judge. Here's the clip.
1: Secretary Liu before you, your predecessor, uh, supported the idea of removing Andrew Jackson from the $20 bill and putting Harriet Tubman on. Do you support that idea? Well, let me just comment on, uh, you know, ultimately we will be looking at this issue. It's not something that I'm focused on at the moment. But the number one issue why we change the currency is to, to stop counterfeiting. So the issues of why we change it will be primarily related to what we need to do for security purposes. And, and I've received classified briefings on that, and that's what I'm focused on for the moment. But certainly there are cultural aspects as to decisions we make as to who's on what bills, right? Uh, again, people have been on the bills for a long period of time. This is something we'll consider. Right now we've got a lot more important issues to focus on.
0: And now here is y'all's president in April of 2016 talking about how Harriet Tubman should be on the $2 bill instead of the 20 perhaps, And also he's defending how glorious slave owning Andrew Jackson is and why he should not be removed from the 20.
3: Let me ask you about something in the news this morning, as you've seen Harriet Tubman will now replace Andrew Jackson on the $20 bill. You have so often during this campaign railed against political correctness. Do you see this as a move that is all about political correctness or is this a move that is simply way overdue? Well, Andrew Jackson had a great history. And I think it's very rough when you take somebody off the bill. Andrew Jackson had a history of tremendous success for the country. And as you know, they were going to do you know, the $10 bill, and then all of a sudden the Broadway play, Hamilton, or the Broadway play sort of saved that one. And uh, I read it just this morning. It was going to Are be. Are Harriet Tubman uh, on the twenty dollar bill? I think Harriet Tubman is fantastic. I would love to. I would love to leave Andrew Jackson and see if we can maybe come up with another denomination. Maybe we do the two dollar bill, or we do another bill. I don't like seeing it. Yes, I think it's pure political correctness. Been on the bill for many, many years and you know, really represented somebody that really was very important to this country. I would love to see another denomination and that could take place. I think, I think it would be more appropriate.
0: So basically the treasury secretary tried it. I'm sure many of you all will ask why I'm talking about this when we have so many other important issues going on. And I submit to you that it is hardly an accident that this dude took an issue with Harriet and that he wanted to place her on the $2 bill. It's all a part of an overall agenda, like I talked about at the beginning of the program, like I regularly talk about. And side note, let's not forget Donald Trump also loves Thomas Jefferson, who is on the $2 bill. So I'm not sure if he even knows that. We don't know the last time that he's seen one, but I digress. Mnuchin gets the low life for participating in any way, shape or form in the tomfoolery. Counterfeit my
1: ass. in
0: Today's political highlight. I don't even know if I can call this political. I think it's just cultural. It goes to Robert Lee the Fourth. Listen to this, and then I'm gonna give you the rundown.
1: My name is Robert Lee the Fourth. I'm a descendant of Robert E. Lee the Civil War general whose statue was at the center of violence in Charlottesville. We have made my ancestor an idol of white supremacy, racism, and hate. As a pastor, it is my moral duty to speak out against racism, America's original sin. Today I call on all of us with privilege and power to answer God's call to confront racism and white supremacy head on. We can find inspiration in the Black Lives Matter movement, the women who marched in the women's march in January, and especially Heather Heyer who died fighting for her beliefs in Charlottesville.
0: So white people, this is how you become the best kind of ally. Will you decide that fighting against hate is worth losing everything? Will you decide that love is really worth fighting for? So here's the deal. Robert Lee IV is the descendant of slave-owning Robert E. Lee, like he says at the VMAs, who some of y'all who have been out here caping for, like he was responsible for the birth of Jesus Christ or something because he taught slaves how to read the Bible. And while I'm all for that, I am a Christian. Let's just be real. The dude owned slaves. So Robert Lee IV went on the VMAs to confront racism, bigotry, discrimination, hatred, and white supremacy by basically slapping down the legacy of his great, 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 extra great grandfather, Robert E. Lee. As he stated, he is a pastor. Well, he was a pastor of a congregation in North Carolina. Well, these white folks got mad at him for speaking out against white supremacy, and they have called for his wig, figuratively speaking. They have asked this man to resign as pastor, and he did. So biblically, we know that perfect love casts out fear. It's something I regularly put on my Instagram. You can scroll back a couple weeks. It's up there. We know that love trumps hate. Pun intended. We see you, Robert. We see you being the best kind of ally. We applaud you for your allyship. We ask you to go around the country and teach a class, do a TED Talk, do a podcast episode. Come on here. Talk about what it means to be an ally that stands for truth in the face of losing everything. It's amazing. And we need your kind of allyship right now. Kudos to you. And we hope that you will just love your former congregation from a distance because they're not ready. Thank you, Robert. you, as many of you know, Donald Trump did not decide to announce the rescission of DACA on Tuesday. Instead, he relied on Attorney General Jeff Sessions, who was just about on thin ice and we all thought was going to lose his job. But instead, Donald Trump has used him on, as the latest pawn and has had him announce rescinding DACA, which I'm sure Jeff Sessions took great pride in because he's always been against quote-unquote amnesty. Well, I'm so annoyed by what he had to say in his speech today announcing the end of DACA that I'm taking the time to annotate and give you all the real scoop on what he's saying and what's behind the words. So we're going to play the clip of his speech, and we are going to pause so that y'all hear my verbal response to the lies Jeff Sessions had to tell you today.
4: Good morning. I'm here today to announce that the program known as DACA that was effectuated under the Obama administration is being rescinded. The DACA program was implemented in 2012 and essentially provided a legal status for recipients for a renewable two-year term, worker authorization, and other benefits including participation in the social security program uh, to 800,000 mostly adult illegal aliens.
0: So I call horse shit. Sessions says essentially for a reason because he essentially lied. DACA doesn't grant recipients legal status like a visa or green card. DACA says for two more years, your deportation is not a priority of this administration and that the U.S. government has other points of priority. Oh, and also this mostly adult illegal aliens line. Let me break this ish down like a fraction. Mostly adult means kids are at risk. And damn it, stop calling people illegal aliens. It's old and it's tired. What is so difficult about saying undocumented person?
4: The policy was implemented unilaterally to great controversy and legal concern after Congress rejected legislative proposals to extend similar benefits to on numerous occasions to this same group of illegal aliens. <laughs>
0: Uh, Jeffrey, when did Congress reject these proposals? The spin on this is unreal today. On one hand, the Trump administration is all like, we don't want you waiting with the time clock counting down over your head. We don't want you to live in fear. And on the other hand, they're like, basically saying you shouldn't get these benefits. Not then, not now, not ever. Well, which one is it? Will the real Slim Shady please stand up? Oh, never mind. You haven't found yourself.
4: In other words, the executive branch through DACA deliberately sought to achieve what the legislative branch specifically refused to authorize on multiple occasions. Such an open ended circumvention of immigration laws was an unconstitutional exercise of authority by the executive branch.
0: So who died and made Jeff Sessions, the federal court judge he couldn't become in 1986 because he was too big of a bigot. Guess who can't decide what's constitutional. You guessed it, faux Judge Sessions. He better rest on his laurels at the Department of Injustice An exit stage left on this point because no real court has decided on the constitutionality of President Obama's executive order on DACA. Mind you, there is broad dissension on this point in the legal community with several folks arguing, including Barack Obama's own White House counsel, that it was in fact legal and constitutional. You know what is unconstitutional, according to course of law, and has been decided upon not once, not twice, but three times? Yeah, baby, that damn Muslim bam. But you know, them old pesky facts.
4: The effect of this unilateral executive amnesty, among other things, contributed to a surge of minors at the southern border that yielded terrible humanitarian consequences. It also denied jobs to hundreds of thousands of Americans by allowing those same illegal aliens to take those jobs.
0: Bro! I'm just right now. Let me just let me see. I'm just trying to find the damn facts. I don't even know where to begin to dismantle this hyperbolic bullshit. I'm so irritated with this rhetoric. Continuing to call this amnesty assumes criminality. And furthermore, what in all the hell are you talking about, Jeffrey? The surge at the southern border was children and women trying to escape inhumane conditions as refugees. But I guess that little inscription on the Statute of Liberty that says, Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest tossed, to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. I guess that don't mean nothing in this damn country. Anyway. Can we talk about how DACA does not just apply to folks crossing the southern border? Oh, that's too real? Okay, then. Next. Jeff. What jobs, Jeff? Man, there's a whole podcast just on this one line. But you know, we already debunked some of this with the raggedy ad put out by Numbers USA.
4: We inherited from our founders and have advanced an unsurpassed legal heritage, which is the foundation of our freedom our safety, and our prosperity.
0: I am so sorry. Did he just say legal heritage? He's talking about the same founders that stole this land from Native Americans or not? And did he still say, did he say freedom? Whose freedom is he talking about? Because many of us are still not free. Damn, I'm about to have to cut this dude off every two words.
4: As Attorney General, it is my duty to ensure that the laws of the United States are enforced And that the constitutional order is upheld.
0: Let's talk about what your duty is not. It is not to decide what is not constitutional. You also should not be using taxpayer resources to oppress people who live in this country. But we shouldn't expect anything less than what you spent your entire career doing.
4: No greater good for the overall health and well-being of our republic than preserving and strengthening the impartial rule of law. Societies where the rule of law is treasured are societies that tend to flourish and succeed. Societies where the rule of law is subject to political whims and personal biases tend to become societies afflicted by corruption, poverty, and human suffering.
0: Hello, genius. Ding, 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 ding. Please tell me, you know, the latter societies you describe is exactly the kind of society y'all are working very hard every day to create. Please tell me you know that. To
4: have a lawful system of immigration that serves the national interest, we cannot admit everyone who would like to come here. It's just that simple. There is an open that would be an open borders policy, and the American people have rightly rejected that.
0: And again, Jeffrey, my middle name, Beauregard, sounds just like a slave owner, Sessions, definitely just made some ish up. This country does not have an open open border policy, and I know he can't be talking about the Deferred Action on Childhood Arrivals policy, which costs applicants... $495 every two years. That's hardly open, and it's definitely not free, and it's definitely not amnesty. Therefore, the
4: nation must set and enforce a limit on how many immigrants we admit each year, and that means all cannot be accepted.
0: Duh, that already exists.
4: This does not mean they are bad people or that our nation disrespects or demeans them in any way. It means we are properly enforcing our laws as congress has passed them
0: but you calling people illegal aliens who are granted amnesty is most definitely demeaning
4: it is with these principles and duties in mind and in light of imminent litigation that we reviewed the obama administration's daca policy our collective wisdom is that the policy is vulnerable to the same legal and constitutional challenges That the courts recognized with respect to the DAPA program, which was enjoined on a nationwide basis in a decision that was affirmed by the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals.
0: Uh, Jeffrey, you forgot a key fact. DAPA and DACA are are different. DAPA is about the parents, for starters. Oh, and its constitutionality was not resolved because SCOTUS reached a split decision. Perhaps that would change with the newly appointed justice. But right now, DACA has not really been addressed.
4: The Fifth Circuit specifically concluded that DACA had not been implemented in a fashion that allowed sufficient discretion and that DAPA was foreclosed by Congress's careful plan.
0: Breaking the Fifth Circuit is not the Supreme Court.
4: In other words, the immigration law uh, that Congress passed foreclosed this possibility of DACA. In other words, it was inconsistent with the Constitution's separation of powers. That decision was affirmed by the Supreme Court on an equally uh, divided basis. Breaking
0: again, a divided vote is not an affirmation. Jesus, no wonder this dude couldn't become a federal judge. He's out here making stuff up.
4: If we were to keep the Obama administration's executive amnesty policy, the likeliest outcome is that it would, too, be enjoined just as was DAPA.
0: Stop calling it amnesty. He doesn't no likeliest isn't definitive?
4: (laughs) I can't. The Department of Justice has advised the president and the Department of Homeland Security that the Department of Homeland Security should begin an orderly lawful wind down, including the cancellation of the memo that authorized this program.
0: Winding down the program is ending the program. Also, we interrupt these messages to point out that Donald Trump did not make this announcement himself. He had Jeffrey do it.
4: Acting Secretary Duke has chosen appropriately to initiate a wind-down process. This will enable the Department of Homeland Security to conduct an orderly change and fulfill the desire of this administration to create a time period for Congress to act, should it so choose. We firmly believe this is the responsible path. Simply put, if we are to further our goal of strengthening the constitutional order and the rule of law in America, the Department of Justice cannot defend this overreach. Uh, Whatever. George Washington University law professor Jonathan Turley, in testimony before the House Judiciary Committee, was clear about the enormous constitutional infirmities raised by this action. He said, quote, in his testimony, in ordering this blanket exception, President Obama was nullifying part of a law that he simply disagreed with. If a president can claim sweeping discretion to suspend key federal laws, the entire legislative process becomes little more than a pretense. The circumvention of the legislative process not only undermines the authority of this branch, he's referring to the legislative branch, but destabilizes the tripartite system as a whole. So this is not a little matter. Ending the previous administration's disrespect for the legislative process is an important first step I feel like this is a dog whistle. All immigration policies should serve the interests of the people of the United States, lawful immigrant and native born. Just
0: want to flag the Muslim ban here
4: again. Congress should carefully and thoughtfully pursue the types of reforms that are right for the American people. Our nation is comprised of good and decent people who want their government's leaders to fulfill their promises and advance an immigration policy. That serves the national interest. You
0: know, if I'm a member of Congress right now, I think I'd be like, you're telling me how to do my work while your boss is out here starting nuclear wars on Twitter? And by the way, how did you help push constructive immigration policy while you were in the Senate, Jeff?
4: We are people of compassion and we are people of law. But there is nothing compassionate about the failure to enforce immigration laws.
0: Actually, there is nothing compassionate about the words coming out of your mouth, playboy. You who tried it.
4: Enforcing the law saves lives, protects communities and taxpayers, and prevents human suffering. Failure to enforce the laws in the past has put our nation at risk of crime, violence, and terrorism. The compassionate thing to do is end the lawlessness. Enforce our laws. And if Congress chooses to make changes to those laws, to do so through the process set forth by our founders in a way that advances the interest of the American people.
0: Please, for the love of God, banish compassion from your vocab, like post-haste.
4: That is what the president has promised to do and has delivered to the American people. Under President Trump's leadership, This administration has made great progress in the last few months toward establishing a lawful and constitutional immigration system. This makes us safer and more secure. It will further economically the lives of millions who are struggling and it will enable our country to more effectively teach new immigrants about our system of government and to assimilate them to the cultural understandings that support it. The substantial progress in reducing illegal immigration at our border seen in recent months is almost entirely due uh, to the leadership of President Trump and his inspired immigration officers. But the problem is not yet solved. And without more action, we could see illegality rise again rather than be
0: eliminated almost entirely try not at all illegal immigration began declining under barack obama you want to take action please do but can you try to do it without appealing to bigotry and fear try making the immigration process easier for folks who are just trying to seek a better life
4: as a candidate and now in office president trump has offered specific ideas and legislative solutions that will protect american workers increase wages and salaries, defend the national security, ensure the public safety, and increase the general well-being of the American people. He has worked closely with many members of Congress, including in the introduction of the RAISE Act, which would produce enormous benefits for our country. And this is how
0: our democratic process works. First of all, Orangey began his campaign with hate. He rode hate all the way into the polls on Election Day. And thanks to white rage, fear and Russia playing games with computers, he rode hate into the White House on January 20th. He rode on the wings of white supremacy and hate right through the violence in Charlottesville. Charlottesville, you ask? Yeah, I said it and I meant it. If you think this white supremacist agenda is separate and distinct from what's happening with immigration, you're sadly mistaken. That is exactly why all oppressed people should be working together. But I digress. Orangey has yet to offer an idea that makes sense. He pushes this general concept of America first. But why should that mean selfish? Why should that mean heartless? Why should that mean greedy? Aw, oh, damn. Is Donald Trump doing what Donald Trump does and has always done for the duration of his life? But let's also just take a moment to get real about the Raise Act. That bill is cloaked in white supremacy and advancing Trump's Make America's White as, you know what, agenda. Again, uh, it would cut the legal immigration by half, reducing the number of green cards from more than one million to five hundred thousand. This bill would eliminate pathways for siblings and adult kids of U.S. citizens to become legal permanent residents, in effect, dividing families. This bill would put a cap of 50,000 refugee admissions a year and it would end the visa diversity lottery, which is how people from, frankly, the diaspora get in here in larger numbers. There's nothing good about the Raise Act. It is a clear attempt to stop immigration altogether. Let me just tell you who his main supporters were at the White House. Stephen Miller and now ousted Steve Bannon. These folks aren't trying to curb illegal immigration. They're trying to whitewash America by ending immigration, period.
4: There are many powerful interest groups in the country, and every one of them has a constitutional right to advocate their views and represent whomever they choose. But the Department of Justice does not represent any narrow interest or any subset of the American people. We represent all of the American people and protect the integrity of our Constitution That is our charge. What?
0: Yes, the hell you do? Let's be honest, Jeff. The whole reason you are pushing this whole rescission of DACA thing is because a narrow interest and subset is scared as hell. Your little narrow group of white supremacists cannot fathom what it might be like to dwell in a majority minority country and are on the daily grasping for straws desperately clinging to power that is quickly slipping out of your hands.
4: We at the Department of Justice are proud and honored to work to advance this vision for America and to do our best each day to ensure the safety and security of the American people.
0: Child, if only we could work from the same vision, because so many of us don't feel safe or secure while you work to take us backwards. Your vision is a nightmare, bro. So let's just end where we started. Everybody, Alita gave us some clear marching orders about what we can do to be good allies to our immigrant brothers and sisters who are uh, participants in the DACA program. We need to call our members of Congress to urge them to stand up against what we know is hatred and evil. We can ask them to support the DREAM Act that's already been introduced and co-sponsored by Senators Dick Durbin and Lindsey Graham. And we can tell them to stand up for comprehensive immigration that's not rooted and built on hatred and fear. We also should familiarize ourselves with DefendDaca.com. It's so important that we not only are advocates, but we're knowledgeable advocates. It's really, really, really time to do what I say every week. Resist y'all. Resist y'all. Resist (laughs) y'all. to do my All we know is the fight. I God and everything call me the yellow I say I'm just my father's daughter. Like Christ, my body eating, but I refuse to holler. Won't give give them the satisfaction, but I let the tears flow. Steady praying for a Father, forgive them. they don't know. That the revolution would not be televised. Tweeted Facebook, excuse me as I scrutinize. Out After the mouth of this babe comes perfected praise as if he needed a sign. We in the last days, and so the revolution.